Welcome to number three in a three-part series. The first part was loving God based on scripture. The second part was loving neighbor as yourself. That is the great commandment and the one that Jesus offered. And it brings with it one of my favorite all-time stories. Mm, I love this story. It just really changed my thinking. It goes like this. Um, you know, I work with middle school kids, and that is a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag of blessings and curses. It's a roller coaster. Sometimes junior high kids seem so naive, like borderline clueless. And it's sometimes they see the world exactly as it is with profound perspective. Now, you may know that I take middle schoolers on a choir tour every summer. Well, like, except for COVID year. But one Saturday in July, quite some time ago, the junior high, we stood around the federal building site in Oklahoma City. Now, at that time, this town closed up on weekends. But fortunately, we knew that ahead of time, and we made arrangements for lunch at a diner just across the street from the site. The kind owner of the restaurant gave up his day off to come up to the store and open up the doors and feed us, although I assumed the thought of 130 prepaid lunches was motivating enough. We filed in. The lunches were prepared and sitting on the tables. It was blistering hot outside, and we were blessed with the opportunity to have a devotion with air conditioning. Earlier in the week, we'd already discussed the loving God part, and we'd already been challenged with loving neighbor. Today, we would attempt the topic of loving self. Now, this is an important topic to me, especially with middle school kids. Taking the time to teach them to love themselves was, and still is, a high priority for me. There we sat, with a diner all to ourselves, with a memorial just outside the window. We began a discussion about love, and I asked the kids, can someone come up with a definition of selfish? Now, seemingly every kid in the restaurant had a definition to offer. Finally, Gabriel raised his hand. Now, Gabe was one of those extremely intelligent kids who never demands the center of attention, but is confident when he gets it. Gabe said, I think selfish people are the kind of people who make their agenda the primary agenda in all situations. Man, I had to think, and then I had to explain it to the rest of the room. There was this collective silence as for a moment as we tried to grasp the thing that Gabriel just spit out of his mouth. But Gabe was right on. Selfish people, maybe they are the kind of people who make their agenda the primary agenda in all situations. So I asked the room, who's good at this? Um, who in this restaurant is good at making their agenda the primary agenda in all situations? Who's good at Gabriel's definition of selfish? Now to my shock, half the room rocketed their hands in the air. They began to brag about their skills. And as I looked at the faces of the confessors, I had to agree. These young folks were good at the art of being selfish, but they were proud of it. Uh, the confession made us laugh. Trying to regain focus in the room, I ask, then what does it mean to be selfless? Well, it took no time at all in the room to rally around Gabriel's definition, restated in opposite fashion. Someone in the room said it, but I couldn't discern the voice from the collective conversations in the room. Selfless people are those who put their agenda as the last agenda in all situations. I began to wonder who fits this selfless definition, and I pulled the room. Who then is good at this? Who in this restaurant is good at keeping their agenda as the last agenda? 
And for some reason, I chose to add a bit more to the request. Who are the folks who pride themselves on flexibility, bending with the perceived needs of others, ducking out of the way and avoiding conflict? Now, I really don't know what I expected, but the other half of the kids could not raise their hands high enough. All of the pleasers in the room, including Brother Gabriel, stretched their hands in the air. Yes, they were not as verbally loud in their response, being pleasers, but they were equally confident in their role in humanity. Then Blair took the stage. Now, that was not unusual. Blair had the gift of volume, and she's not afraid to use it. And she said, I think selfless people are actually selfish. And we sat there a bit stunned with the comment, but Blair did not give up. She said, well, if selfless people are motivated to make their agenda the last agenda, and making their agenda the last agenda is their primary agenda, when they succeed at making their agenda the last agenda, then they're still making their agenda the primary agenda. Now, you might need to hold on a little bit because I needed to hold on to it too. Because I was shocked and everyone else was shocked. Her perspective was, it was insightful. Blair was right on. Now, many in the room didn't even get it at first. And each table tried to begin to explain it to the others around the table. But is it true? Are all of us, are we basically selfish individuals? This middle school definition seemed to suggest it. Do all of us make our agenda, even being last, the primary agenda in the way we live our lives? Hmm. So I tried to rally the individual conversations into one collective debate. And I said, if we have defined selfish behavior to our satisfaction, and we can agree on selfless behavior, then what is self-love? Well, immediately, a table of eighth grade boys made inappropriate self-love gestures in the air. You know the ones. And I lost control of the room. The eighth grade parents were mortified. I tried my best to calm the chaos. Finally, God was good, and a small table of wonderful, clueless sixth grade boys raised their hands, ready to sincerely answer the question. Tim? We don't really have a definition, but we think we can describe it. I said, go on. Maybe if we love ourselves just the way God loves us, then we would understand self-love. I said, all right, go ahead. Describe the way God loves us. He said, well, God pours love upon us, like unconditionally, unrelenting, inexhaustible. God forgives us over and over and over and over again. God doesn't care what we look like or how smart we are. And sometimes if we need it, God kind of spanks us, you know, when we mess up, but then encourages us and picks us up. Maybe if we could love ourselves like God loves us, that would really describe self-love. This is why I love middle school ministry. All right, boys, that's awesome. Let me ask everyone something. I'll say a word and you tell me if it's an issue of being selfish, selfless, or self-love. Cheating. A quick answer came from the back of the room. Selfish, not self-love. And before I could reply, an honest honest addition came from the eighth-grade boy table. Alcohol, selfish, and not self-love.
Then a sweet, shy seventh grade girl raised her hand. When you allow a bully to hurt you and to hurt your feelings, isn't that selfless and not self-love? Then God poured grace upon a bunch of kids and reminded each one why and how they should love themselves. God is so good. And after a time of imagining the way God loves, I asked the group, which is harder, to love your neighbor or to love yourself under this new definition? No one answered. Everyone, including me, just thought about it. We opened our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 and explored the challenge of loving the way God loves. These words, they reflect God's love for us and God's challenge for us to love others and how to love ourselves. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. Love bears in all things, believes all things, and hopes in all things, and endures in all things. Love never ends. It's not always easy, and it holds us accountable. It demands nothing from us, yet it inspires us to change. If only we could love like that, then we would understand self-love. When Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He responds with a profound simplicity, love God. Jesus briefly elaborates on what it means to love God with one's entire being. Then Jesus adds a second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Christ then inspires each of us with a parable on what it means to sacrificially love your neighbor and implies that we are to love ourselves. I know this. Many faithful people struggle with loving themselves. While on a junior high choir tour mentioned above, one of my greatest goals is to assure each middle school kid that they are beautiful, wonderful people, worthy of great love and loved by God. The text, Love Your Neighbor as Yourself, it's quoted nine times, found in both Old and New Testaments. Does this scripture merely imply that we are to love ourselves and the challenge is to love neighbor with the quality of love, like love your neighbor with the same quality as? Or is this a commandment to love neighbor and a commandment to love ourselves? But self-love seems to be so complicated. It's too easily confused with selfishness and with selflessness. The church, too, is guilty of distorting biblical text to confuse self-love. You want an example? Faithful people have looked to the 29th chapter of Jeremiah to justify material prosperity, which conflicts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When did Christ ever lift up personal financial prosperity as a reward for faithfulness? The lure to justify selfish behavior is rampant, and it even finds our way into our scripture interpretation. Our culture breeds, encourages, and glorifies selfishness. It's so much a part of what it means to be American that we often no longer recognize a selfish culture, even while we stand in the midst of it. For most of our country, selfishness has become its own religion, a way of thinking, of hoarding, it's a lifestyle, it's a right, and a standard of measuring success. 
It can be difficult to see selfishness. It hides well. It justifies itself with great success. Procrastination can be a beautiful example of self-love. However, it can be the height of selfishness and the opposite of self-love. Pornography? Selfish. Definitely not self-love. Having enough to eat? Genuine self-love. Gluttony? Is something else. It's selfish. Prescription drugs can be mandatory for self-love, while prescription abuse is selfishness and often destroys relationships, which violates our call to love neighbor. Preaching can be a, a magnificent way to love our neighbor, yet sometimes preachers fall into the need for the selfish affirmation that comes from preaching. Taking one day a year to work in a soup kitchen is an act of loving neighbor, but it can fall into selfishness if we use it to justify our own personal accumulation. Inappropriate selflessness is even more complicated and difficult to recognize than selfishness. When faithful, selfless people allow themselves to be abused, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, then love is lost, harm is done, and that is not the will of God. Perpetuating this, allowing this, tolerating this is not self-love. Avoiding conflict is often a selfless act, but the opposite of self-love. Throwing open arms like Jesus on the cross, allowing a cruel world to attack may be Christ-like, but is it a manifestation of self-love as commanded by Christ? Self-love can be complicated. Too easily we fall into the pit of selfishness. Too easily we fall into selflessness. How do we interpret self-love? How do we recognize it? How do we choose it? Truthfully, for me, the call to self-love is clear, and it was defined for me by a table of sixth-grade boys in a sandwich shop in Oklahoma City. When we allow ourselves the way we perceive God to, lose, to love us, when we allow that to be our mantra, the way God loves us is the way we love us, then we are seeing what it means to love ourselves. I twisted that around a bit, but I bet you get it. It is a love that is unconditional, unrelenting, and inexhaustible. It's this kind of love that holds us accountable and gives us a spanking when we need redirection. It is strong and it demands action when love is thwarted. If it is motivated by my humanness and does not resemble what I believe God would choose for me, then it's probably either selfish or selfless. The call of the great commandment is clear. Love God. The second call, much like the first, is clear. Love neighbor as you love yourself. And I've redefined that scripture since I talked about it with a bunch of middle school kids.